Blog Talk Radio. Time now for the Gridiron Stud Show. Well, you can be all American. Actually, now, actually, I can do it now. You can do it now. Yeah, I can do it. But I'm trying to focus on my position. With your host, Chad Wilson. They hate no man. Chad, you got to be something in the mix. Bringing you high school, college, and NFL talk. I don't rap a discipline. Minasa. You all need more discipline. True discipline. Come on, get a grip. Call us on the show today. Don't get out of my face with that crazy that's, stuff. That's... The number to call, 347-633-9365. Y'all got to take y'all know that. Or you can reach us on Twitter, at Gridiron Stud. And now, your host, Chad Nevertheless, 
uh, talk about some very important things yesterday that I thought was going on in the NFL, the NFL draft, and in particular the combine. So I wanted to touch on that again uh, with any of you that didn't have a chance to listen to the show or anyone who did listen to the show yesterday, and that is I really think the combine is starting to become a packaged television event. And when you have a packaged television event, you start running into uh, this situation where uh, certain people are going to be focused on, and um, sometimes uh, it doesn't matter what type of performance those people lay down, uh, they're going to be shining in a good light. So uh, when you have a packaged television event, you have to go into it planning something, and that means planning something around people, and that means you're going to pick certain prospects that you want to push, and you're praying that they do well, and if they don't, you still make it look like they did well. And uh, I talked yesterday about how that could be frustrating for certain people that are involved in the combine, that are in the draft, that are, you know, all these guys are jockeying for position. They all want to get drafted as high as possible, uh, but sometimes they're up against uh, a media machine where certain guys are being pushed by that media machine, and they may not indeed um, be doing all that, that good. How you doing, Les? Again, um, it, first, let's do some housekeeping. First of all, Gridiron Studs Show is sponsored by the Gridiron Studs app. Isn't that a great thing? Gridiron Studs Show sponsored by the Gridiron Studs app. If you're a high school football, uh, college football prospect, definitely something you want to get on. It uh, connects you with college football coaches as well as college football fans. You can get started on building yourself a fan base um, as well as connecting with college football coaches. So, Go now and download the Gridiron Studs app. You can do that by going to the App Store or Google Play Store and search Gridiron Studs there. If you're a fan, then you have the opportunity to go on there and get uh, recruiting reports and information directly from the mouths of the recruits. So something there for everyone, coaches, fans, and players. And so go now, 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 um, or at least after you watch the show and download the Gridiron Studs app, available both uh, for iPhone and you team Android users. You go do that right now. Also, hey, if you're watching the show right now, I appreciate it. If you would share this video to your page, let's get some uh, let's get some more eyeballs in here um, and uh, maybe some more opinions. And I do also want to remind you guys that this is also being broadcast on Blog Talk Radio, so it's a, a radio show that is being filmed on Facebook Live. So even if I uh, don't respond necessarily to a comment that you're making right now on Facebook Live, I do look at it later. Um, it's not always, doesn't always make for the greatest radio if, uh, if I'm commenting on, um, you know, comments being made on Facebook Live. My radio audience doesn't really understand what I'm doing, so uh, take no offense, not ignoring you. I do see it, um, and I, I will perhaps uh, comment, on, on, comment on it later on. But again, getting back to the topic that I was on, uh, and I'm going to pick this up a bit if I had the opportunity with Matt Miller, who joins me. Um, at 4.30 here uh, Eastern Time on the show. And uh, I'm going to talk about the, the combine. And it, it's just starting to look more and more like a packaged television event. And by that, I mean certain guys are getting pushed and pumped, while others maybe not so much. And, uh, you know, a part of me understands why the NFL might want to do that. Um, I, I would love it if they just kept it pure. And let's just look at the guys go and perform and report on what's happening instead of trying to stage what's happening. And it seems to be something that we do more. And it's just 
the lay of the land. It's the times we live in. We try to orchestrate so many things and try to pass it off as reality uh, or as reality TV um, when that's not reality TV. You, you know, it's, it's WWE. And I just remember being a kid and swearing uh, that wrestling was real, only to find out later that all that, what I saw, was orchestrated. And, you know, it was passed off as, that's the original reality TV show, all right, for all you youngsters out there. The original reality TV show was, was wrestling, pro wrestling, because it had everyone thinking it was real, even down to the blood. Um, the steel chair over the head and you're drenched in blood, how could that not be real? I mean, it's amazing. So, um, just a little bit of a different situation there. I don't know what's going on with my live broadcast, but anyway, still have blog talk radio to, to back it up, um, but continue to have a problem here. Anyway, so that was the original, um, that was the original reality TV blog, uh, was, was the, uh, WWE wrestling, NWA, AWA, you had all that good stuff back in the day. And, um, you know, that was what you thought was real, and then it ended up being not so real. So, um, you know, I don't know what the situation uh, is right now with the NFL's broadcast of the Combine, but to me, it just feels like it is a uh, packaged television event. And that's going to be a bit of an issue for some of the other guys that are competing, both at the Combine and for draft position coming up. Um, Some things I'm going to talk to uh, Matt Miller about when he joins me here on the show at 4.30. Uh, he did put out a couple articles recently. One was um, the most overrated players um, out in this draft, and he this is not necessarily his list. It's just a list that he's compiled since uh, speaking to some scouts around, and, and that is part of what Matt does. This is not all just his opinion. Um, a lot of what he does is driven by speaking to actual scouts, um, and he does have those contacts, and that's what makes him a good follow, a good listen, um, a good read. It's a very nice um, podcast as well, Stick to Football. It's done very, very well. Um, he does actually speak to the people that are making decisions in this thing. So um, uh, he, he has developed a list of the most overrated players in this NFL draft. I found that a very interesting read. Um, and then he came out today with most underrated players in the NFL draft. So I'll ask him about a couple of those players that he has on both of those lists. I'm going to talk to him about some of the local prospects. And by local, I mean in the state of Florida, which where is, which is where I'm based. And um, we're going to talk about um, Mark Walton, Duke Dawson, Derwin James. Going to try and uh, Talk to him about that if we have time. Hit on maybe a couple of uh, other prospects that uh, are on there. And once again, I'm going to do another live broadcast as I continue to have trouble here. I don't know what's going on with the internet. Time to blame Xfinity. You know, I'm good for that. But anyway, um, so we'll talk about that and we'll get into some other things. Hey, man, maybe some of you uh, out there think that you have what it takes to be a scout, an NFL scout. So we'll hit up on. Um, just how much work is involved. I think a lot of people don't realize um, how much goes into being a scout, just how much homework you have to do there to, to be a scout. So uh, you'll hear it straight from the horse's mouth, and uh, you'll find out what the deal is there. All right, having issues here with my live broadcast for one reason or another. So 
going to uh, close that down there for a moment. Uh, I'm trying to restart some things, but nevertheless, we're still on here on the radio, and um, we will continue with the broadcast there. But we're going to talk about uh, some of those things, and um, we're going to talk about the top three picks in this draft. Uh, Sam Darnold had his pro day yesterday, and of course, all of the reports out of pro day was that Sam Darnold was outstanding. I don't know, has anyone heard of a pro day that was terrible? Um, we only get to find out about a terrible pro day at some point later on. Uh, the reports coming out of a pro day are always initially outstanding um, and that things were just great. And so that's exactly what we got um, as reports about Sam Darnold's pro day um, yesterday. And uh, a lot of the talk is solidifying him as the number one pick overall. Uh, I talked about this yesterday. I'm just not in favor of a warm-weather quarterback. And by warm-weather quarterback, I mean all the football you've ever played is in warm weather, and then you're going to frigid temperatures. I just think there's an adjustment there. I will talk uh, to Matt Miller about this theory that I have and see if uh, he at all agrees, disagrees, see if I may be out of my mind about it. Uh, but I just uh, don't, I don't like that situation. I just think what all... The things that you have to deal with as a rookie quarterback, having to adjust to that extreme change in temperatures that you're used to um, almost seems like something cruel. So, um, and just another added thing that's going to um, be a problem for you as a rookie quarterback. And when you're talking about going to somewhere like Cleveland, um, those people want they want answers fast. They want things fixed quickly. And so, I mean, how much, how much time are they going to give him to uh, mess around? Anyway, trying this live broadcast one more time. Sorry for the folks trying to watch the broadcast on Facebook. I don't know what's going on here. Xfinity is having their issues. And when they're having issues, I'm having issues. But nevertheless, still on Blog Talk Radio, um, so no problem there. So I'm going to talk about that um, Everyone saying, or not, let me not say everyone, quite a few people saying um, Sam Darnold hit the ball out of the park yesterday in his pro day and uh, has solidified himself as the number one pick overall, which right now is currently held by Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland did pick up a quarterback in the offseason. It was Tyrod Taylor. How quickly they threw aside uh, Deshaun Kaiser, who they picked up last year. That was very, very quick. Um, and I did say yesterday, I think the best thing for Cleveland to do is build everything up, add the quarterback you want and need later. Um, and that should probably be someone coming from cold weather. Is that weird? Does that sound crazy? I mean, there aren't a ton of examples out there where you've had a warm weather guy who's been in warm weather all his life and then turns around and becomes this great cold weather quarterback. And when I say cold weather, I'm talking Buffalo, New England, Chicago, Green Bay, that type of stuff. Um, I just have not seen a whole bunch of that. So we'll see how that unfolds. They're seeing Sam Darnold one. If Sam Darnold is one, who's going to number two? Um, that's a big question. Two and three um, are big, big question marks. And they're both from the city of New York right now. New York Giants, New York Jets. What are they going to do there? How's that going to shake out um, there for both of those teams? 
see if we have some time to talk to Matt Miller about what exactly the Jets did with their trade there with the Colts. Um, you gave away two second-round picks and for this year and a second-round pick for next year to get move up to the third slot to get who exactly? Um, were they trying to position themselves for Josh Allen? Are they thinking about taking Josh Allen at number three? Uh, perhaps they are, and if they did, then you know they probably put themselves in prime position. I just think it was a little bit unexpected for people. Um, I don't think they expected to see uh, Josh Allen maybe taken that high. Maybe thought he'd be a little bit lower down in the draft. Hey, did the Jets get enamored by what they saw at the combine? He was really uncorking it, but there's a whole lot more to this position than just having a strong arm. If that was the case, then there'd be a ton of other guys who um, would have excelled greatly in this league, and that's just not. I mean, Jeff George would would be preparing a speech for Canton if it was just all about a strong arm. And so we know that's just not uh, the way that this thing works. Nevertheless, um, so we'll try and figure out some of what went on there um, with the Jets moving up to number three. Um, and then I got some questions on the broadcast yesterday about what do I think the Colts will do at number six? Will they trade out of that spot? Um, and my honest opinion on that is if, if I think if Bradley Chubb, and I don't have any inside information on this, but to me, um, I think if Bradley Chubb is still there and available at six, which is not a shoe in there's talk that Denver might take him and try to add another pass rusher along with Von Miller. Um, but if he is indeed there uh, at when they come up with the sixth pick, then um, I think they'll go ahead and take him. If he's not available, then there's a chance the Colts could move back. The Colts are looking for bodies, um, and I don't know outside of Bradley Chubb um, if there is a franchise-changing player for the Colts uh, that would be available at that top half of the draft, and they seem to be really going for value here. If you've observed what they've done, in the uh, preseason, then I mean, in the in, during the free agency, um, I think it's apparent that they are striving and really going hard for value. So I don't know who else, um, unless they're unless they're looking for offensive line help, um, who would hold that kind of value there for them. So um, we'll just we'll just have to see exactly what they do there. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, try and figure out. Some things here with this Facebook Live. We'll be right back here on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. Do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over 600000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and, get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. 
If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leaks for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code Gridiron Studs when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code Gridiron Studs. Do it now! Glad to see it. 
a couple of uh, guys coming home. Frank Gore, JPP. Uh, Alan Hearns, uh, a free agent from the University of Miami, hitting the market. Uh, and a number of teams buying for his services. And so he's probably um, in line for some, you know, some, some good money because he is a valued um, prospect. Not at all the madness is over in, in free agency. Uh, Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel showed up at someone's pro day. Uh, showed up at San Diego's pro day today. Threw the ball around. This guy's not going to let the dream die. Who's picking up Johnny Manziel? And would you guys be upset if Johnny Manziel was picked up by an NFL team right now? Would that bug anyone right now if Johnny Manziel was picked up? Who, who would be so smart as to pick up Johnny Manziel? Um, don't know what his value is to a team right now. But nevertheless, he's out there um, throwing for, uh, for the NFL scouts. Uh, also, some Dolphin news. Dolphins looking into Brock Osweiler. Um, guys get to hang around in this league. I don't know that Brock Osweiler is. He's definitely not a number one. He's definitely not a franchise quarterback. I think he's proved that. But what value does he have? What would he do on the Dolphins? Um, were he to show up there? I don't know. Dolphins been sniffing around with a lot of guys. Speaking of the Dolphins, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do at that quarterback spot. I think they're just kicking the tires on Osweiler, but I'm pretty sure they're going to pick someone up in the draft. I'm thinking I'm, I'm about to give up on the live broadcast. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, but anyway, keep falling out of favor here with the live broadcast, and it's really starting to get on my nerves. Anyway, um, yeah, what's going to happen there with, with the Miami Dolphins at that position? Um, they, I think they definitely need to address it. They know that. And so um, it looks like they're taking some steps to do so. And um, they're looking at some free agents. They're not going, you know, big time on it. Um, probably looking for some depth there. So um, that seems to be the move. I, I personally think um, that they're going to try to correct that problem in the draft. How, how much they're going to attack that problem in the draft is really the big question. Are they going to be in it on some of these? Are they going to do the Baker Mayfield thing, or uh, are they going to wait for somewhere a little bit later on in the draft to try and address it with a you know prospect that's not um, perhaps as highly rated, but that can add a tremendous amount of uh, value to them? I don't know. We'll have to see what it is exactly that uh, they decide to do um, at their quarterback spot. So we'll just have to see uh, there with the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Um, Getting back on that topic that uh, I was discussing um, with the NFL Combine, part of whole, that whole package event thing, package television event, is uh, the 40-yard dash times, which I think we probably are making too much of a, a big deal out of anyway to begin with. But um, a lot of folks usually are, have been coming out of the Combine the last few years questioning 40-yard dash times, uh, you know. And that may be a function of the whole uh, – Packaged event scenario. If you uh, decided that you were going to feature certain guys, you can't have them running terrible 40. That makes for a, that's almost like um, an actor messing up his lines. So, you know, that's probably a bad situation for the NFL 
network. And so what are they prepared to do um, in a situation like that? Are they prepared to fudge the numbers, so to speak, on um, – you know, on, on, on someone's 40-hour dash time if they have uh, invested themselves, so to speak, in, in uh, a certain player. Uh, I, you know, I'm just kind of wondering what they would do there in those scenarios. So um, something for us to uh, – if I have a chance, I will address that with Matt Miller here on the show. All right? I think I've had enough of the Facebook Live broadcast today. Just getting totally annoyed with that. So we'll just put our focus on – uh, what's going on here with Blog Talk Radio? Okay, so, um, yeah, that's been a concern for me. And um, I, don't, I don't know exactly where we're going with that. It's going to probably, there's probably going to be some uh, more folks trying to investigate into that. And by investigations, I mean, uh, you've got people pausing the, they're, they're pausing their TV on the 40-yard dash times and uh, trying to find all kind of different mystery um, conspiracy theories on the 40-yard dash times. Um, someone hasn't started yet, and there's point, point 0.15 already off of the 40-yard uh, dash time. Uh, I've seen all kinds of things going on, so um, that's going to continue being an issue there um, on with, with, as it pertains to the NFL Combine. All right. Um, I believe my guest is in place, in order, and ready to go. And so uh, let's not keep him waiting. Uh, always uh, good to talk to this guy. He's actually a, a real scout that's on Twitter, um, and they're just so very hard to find. So uh, I'm glad to have him on my show. Matt Miller, thanks for joining us here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's been uh, about a year since the last time I was on with you, so I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. We had you on last year to talk about um, Quincy Wilson someone I happen to know pretty well um, um, because he was in the draft. And so uh, we had such a great conversation last time that you're on. Um, makes sense to have you back on again and uh, get your thoughts on some of the things that are going on with the NFL draft. And so let's jump right into it. Matt, I shared this with my uh, audience yesterday, and maybe it's um, another one of my half-baked theories, but I'm looking at what's coming out in the NFL draft quarterback-wise, and the two top guys, according to everyone, are what I call warm-weather quarterbacks, um, and that's Sam Darnold and that's Josh Rosen. And I just um, have this theory that warm-weather guys don't really fare too well when they've got to go into the frigid temperatures of a place like Cleveland or Buffalo or New England, Green Bay, Chicago, something like that. Am I out of my mind? Or is that something we should just not even worry about when it comes to Darnold or Rosen uh, ending up in places like New York or Cleveland? No, you're not out of your mind. And I think that's why we've seen such a, a big like, news story around the fact that when Darnold's pro day was uh, yesterday, it was raining. And this morning, this morning, Josh Rosen worked out for the Jets and it was raining. And uh, if, you, if you remember a couple of years ago when Jared Goff's pro day, it was raining. And it, it became such a big deal about the fact that these guys were working out in the elements because you play quarterback in California, you don't see it a whole lot. And it is, you know, if you're the Cleveland Browns about to draft a quarterback, you need to know how's this guy going to handle throwing in wind? How's he going to handle throwing in some rain? And we can't make it snow in March in California, but you would love to know, okay, how's he going to handle a cold weather game? So it is something that goes into the process 
there might be some folks that, that say, hey, you guys are overthinking it. Playing quarterbacks, playing quarterback, it doesn't matter. I'm with you. I think it does matter. And, you know, even not just at quarterback, you know, uh, I've talked to warm weather running backs and been like, hey, what, what's going to happen if you get drafted by Green Bay or Chicago the first time you take a hit and it's 20 degrees outside? It's a different ball game. It's a different world. So it is something that I think it's fair game to wonder about and definitely to try to get inside the minds of these players to see what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, when I first brought it up, of course, folks brought up uh, Aaron Rodgers to me. Um, listen, Aaron Rodgers went to the Green Bay Packers, who were, you know, not too long removed from a Super Bowl. So um, it was a better environment that he was coming into. And he also sat for several years. Um, that's not going to be the case for guys coming to uh, either one of these guys that they end up in Cleveland. Might be a little bit of a different situation if they go to New York. Maybe they sit a couple years behind Eli Manning, but nevertheless, um, if all you've known is warm weather, um, heading to those two places is about almost as cold as it gets. So uh, I want to ask you about this big trade that went down on Saturday between the Colts and the Jets. Um, I, I think the Jets got fleeced, uh, but there's that group out there that says you got to do what you got to do to get your guy. But who's their guy if they move to number three? Many feel it's 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 Darnold and Rosen one and two. So. Why did the Jets move to number three? And why did they give up so much to do so? Yeah, yeah well, I'll tell you, I, I think there are a couple ways to look at it. One thing that I continue to hear like, consistently is that Rosen at two is not so much of a lock. And, and the trade that the Giants made today, shipping JPP out, a lot of folks think that that opens the door for Bradley Chubb to come in, the DN from NC State. So I think the Jets have to look at it a couple different ways. Number one, uh, they have to like three quarterbacks in this draft, right? Because even if the Giants don't take one, someone else could. So that possibility exists that, okay, well, you might be sitting there with Darnold and Rosen off the board, so hopefully you like Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield. I think also one reason that you do it now and another reason that they gave up as much as they did, I honestly feel like the closer we get to the end of April, that price tag was only going to go up for that pick because there, is, there are so many teams that need a quarterback, whether it's the Jets, the Bills, the Cardinals, the Dolphins are, are scratching around talking to everybody they can. So I think that's another avenue of it is the Jets wanted to do it now while the cost was a little bit lower. And I know that if you pull up the draft trade value chart, it does look like the Jets got hosed on it, right? Like why did they give up this many picks? The thing right. I always say is when when you're going up to get a quarterback, though, you got to throw all that out the window because there is like, there's no value you can assign to how good a franchise quarterback is, and it is a crapshoot. And if they don't get the quarterback, they're all fired. It's that simple. If the Jets huh. miss on this quarterback at three, they're all looking for jobs. So it it puts a lot of pressure on them. But you know you got to shoot your shot, and they're doing it. Yeah, most most definitely. And I was listening to your podcast. Uh, a damn good podcast, too, by the way. Stick to football. Um, so you guys go out there and check that out right now. Matt um, and his co-hosts do a very good job with that. And that was, um, that was exactly what you said on your podcast, that if they're wrong, everyone in that building is gone. Um, and I guess they're just throwing everything on the table for um, whoever that's going to be. Me, personally, I don't know that any of these three guys are top three picks, but um, the demand for quarterbacks in this league is big. These guys need them, so... Um, it seems like year after year recently we're overvaluing uh, these quarterbacks that are coming out. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, and, and we also have a rush to judge them. You know, like uh, after 2016 draft is a great example. 
Jared Goff and Carson Wentz come out. Goff struggles as a rookie. Wentz looks okay. And everyone heading into last football season was ready to call Goff a bust and that mm-hmm. Wentz, you know, maybe wasn't going to be that great quarterback a lot of people thought. And turn around and had Carson not got hurt, they might have been both in the top five voting for MVP. So we right. are too quick. And I think people, people on the other side were too quick to say that Jameis Winston was the next great quarterback when he has – been solid at times and then really struggled at others. So it it's not fun and it doesn't work in this like hot take society, but you really got to wait two to three years to know who these guys are at any position, but especially at quarterback when so much of what these guys do in college just no longer translates to the NFL for, for 90% of them. So like you said, with this year's class, the top four guys, and they could go in the top five if trades happen, None of them's ready to jump right in. I would say Rosen's probably the closest, but it's it's like buying stocks. It's all about projection and hoping you hit on one that, that ends up shooting to the top. Yeah, so let's talk about the other half of that big trade that went down last Saturday. The Colts, um, the, the, the thinking by most is that um, they're out for Bradley Chubb and we're willing to go back to six and see if he's there at that time. But uh, listen, you brought up the Giants possibly being in the market for Chubb. Um, I've also heard the Broncos may want to add, uh, you know, someone to the other side on the other side of Von Miller. So what do you think happens if pick number six rolls up for the Colts and Chubb is already gone? Do you see them pushing themselves out of that spot? If not, what do you think they're doing at, at number six? Man, you probably have a better line into that front office than I do right now. You might just have to, like, <laughs> call them up and see what they're doing. Um, you know, I think they're in a good spot, like you said, to to be a best player available type team almost, where mm-hmm. if, if Chubb's there, that's awesome. If Saquon Barkley's there, even better. You know, and crazier things have happened on draft night. But they are in a good spot where at six they can they can look at a couple different positions. I would think Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, the left guard, would be a guy that – kind of fits what Chris Ballard preaches about prospects uh, and also a guy who's going to like really not that again, you know more than I do in this situation, but Mm -hmm. not that, not that that locker room is bad, but Nelson is Mm -hmm. the kind of guy everyone wants in their locker room just because of Mm -hmm. his work ethic and accountability and all the things that he brings to the table. So he would be in play and I wouldn't rule out a trade back. You know, if, if like you said, if you know we got a couple quarterbacks off the board and the Bills are sitting there saying, "Hey guys, we're at 12 and we're really trying to get a quarterback," you try to mm-hmm. get to six and hope that you can get maybe a Baker Mayfield. So there are a lot of really good options, and you know I'm a huge Chris Ballard fan. I'm also a big fan of Ed Dodds and Rex Hogan, who he has working under him. Um, mm-hmm. You know I, I got a lot of I got a lot of crap on Twitter for saying that that was like the Avengers of a front office, but yeah. those guys know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. and I would say that regardless of your relationship to that team, those guys mm-hmm. know what they're doing, and giving them more picks is dangerous for the rest of the NFL. They got what three picks in round two now, and that, that's scary in this draft, especially with where there's pretty good talent in round two. I I feel really confident that they're going to be able to find some good players. Yeah, I I think the move is to um, get young um, and develop players, and I happen to think that they're very good at both of those things. I think the staff that he's now been able to put together um, will obviously push hard in that direction of player development. And so, yeah, they're probably dangerous sitting there with those. You know, listen, I'm not just saying this because my son is there. I think if I wasn't really on board with what was going on with the general manager, I'd probably be more apt to just say nothing. 
Um, but I feel the need to say I think he's played things very well here in pre-agency, not chasing those players in those first three days where crazy money is being thrown um, at certain guys. There's a lot of overpaying going on and just kind of sitting back. If you just see what he was able to accomplish Saturday, just sitting back um, and finding someone um, desperate, so to speak, um, in the New York Jets and accumulating picks, I think they're uh, doing a lot more right than wrong over there right now. So um, you did bring up Baker Mayfield, and, you know, I was reading um, a couple of couple of blog articles that you had there, and one that always takes balls to write, um, and that's uh, the most <laughs> over in the NFL draft. I do uh, want to stress this once again, um, that Matt has said in the article that this is based on, and I, I think this is cool the way that you did this, um, you threw it on some NFL scouts that you talked to. <laughs> so it's not necessarily Matt's list. It's Matt's list after talking to some NFL scouts. Baker Mayfield's on that. Um, give me a quick rundown on your thoughts of Baker Mayfield, um, one of those polarizing prospects in this draft. That's the first word I would have used, man, polarizing. Um, I, I think that just speaking on the field first, I, he's electric. You know, he won the Heisman Trophy for a, a reason. And his improvement from 2016 to 2017 was eye-opening for me. Played so much better from the pocket. I thought he improved his downfield velocity and accuracy. He became very good up the seam. He is a, a, a good athlete. I'd say he's not he's not explosive, but he's agile and he uses his feet well to extend plays to set things up. And that Oklahoma team, outside of the tight end Mark Andrews, like this is not you know the Oklahoma of a few years ago where they were loaded with skill players and there he was not working with a ton and really mm-hmm. elevated everyone around him. So on the field, there's a lot to like about him. I think the questions come more with the intangible type things. He's, he's small for an NFL quarterback. Even at you know, six feet and one-half inches, he's, he's still short. And he's not that explosive athlete that Russell Wilson is. I mean, he, there's a major difference in the types of athletes they are. So you worry yeah. about is he going to be able to, to move around and find those passing windows in the NFL where everyone's bigger, faster, and no disrespect to the Big 12, but defenses there aren't very good. So it's, it's going to be a bit of a learning curve. And then you worry about the other stuff, you know, getting arrested, trying to run from the cops to get arrested. Yeah. Uh, not even an the fact that that cop caught him. Yeah, you got caught. <laughs> so that's not good either. Uh, and then, you know, the, the thing with the Kansas game, grabbing himself and yelling across the field, planting sure. the flag at Ohio State, chirping back at analysts on Twitter, chirping back at University of Texas in a press conference. And um, I think that's the stuff you worry about with a quarterback, especially, you know, like we've been talking about the jets. If you're in the New York media market and you struggle next year and they start ripping apart Baker Mayfield, is he going to be able to hold his tongue and play the corporate CEO and say, Hey, you know, we just got to get better. I trust my coaches. I trust this front office. You know, it's on Mm -hmm. me. Is he going to be able to do, you know, like what Andrew Luck has had to do at times and, you know, what right. Tom Brady has had to do. I don't right. know if Baker's going to be able to do that or if he's going to, you know, flip the table and, and start yelling at people. So it is a matter of th- there's got to be a lot of trust within the front office and the coaching staff to understand the, the type of guy they're getting. Are the comparisons to Johnny Manziel fear in your opinion? I don't think so. I mean, they're both short quarterbacks who came out of the state of Texas. I, I think that's where it begins and ends. Um, Johnny, you know, was – irresponsible uh just horribly and i even you know i had just started really uh back when he was drafted i had been at about three years i guess so not really just started but 
you know, I didn't have a lot of the connections I have now, but even if I had, because I've asked guys, even guys who are now GMs, that's always a fun question is, hey, where'd you have Johnny? And they'd be like, oh, man, I loved that kid. You know, so everyone right. kind of missed on the fact that, that he just didn't love football. And, and unfortunately for him, he was drafted to a city where they're so hungry for a winner. And he's such a big name and there's such a bright spotlight that I, I think he crumbled under that adversity because it was something he had never faced before. He had never been a loser and he had never had people turn on him and he had never struggled. And when that happens and you are that guy who's in the spotlight and you already have some demons in your closet, I think it amplifies it. And so uh, not to take any responsibility away from him because he's a grown man and he's responsible for his actions, but it was kind of a perfect storm really. And I, I think Baker, you know, seems to be a little more grounded, have a better head on his shoulders. I think he has a chip on his shoulder because he was a walk on to Texas tech and then, they didn't want him, and he had to walk on to OU. And, and so it's been this uphill battle to get to this point. So I, we'll see if that chip helps or hurts him. It can really go either way. Yeah, um, that's going to be interesting. You're going to have folks that are going to want to um, run that comparison to him, and um, he's going to need to have some early success because of that. So that's definitely something that yeah. I think a lot of folks are going to have their eyes on. I, I don't think he's a fit everywhere. I think he's just going to have the – find the perfect place. Cortland Sutton made your list. And, and the reason I ask about this guy, because um, I was a part of the group where he trained. Don't, um, don't hold back on any of that because I didn't really have anything to do with his training. I worked with the defensive backs, but I did see him out there. He's a big wide receiver. Um, is he quick twitch? No, but what's your, what's your thoughts on him? Do you agree with scouts who may say that he's uh, an overrated prospect in this draft? You know, to some extent, I think the talk coming into the year that he was going to be a top 10 player, if you hold him to that line, then, yeah, he's overrated. If you come into it with a blank, open mind on him and say, as a big kid, who's, he's not super quick twitch, and he's not, going to, he's not going to run, but can he be physical and beat them at the catch point? Can he win over the top? I think those are the areas where he is a good player. My best guess is he comes off the board somewhere between 30 and 45, and and that's a good spot for him. Um, one thing that is probably not helping him is that some of the guys he compares to, like a Laquan Treadwell, have not fared well early in the NFL in their NFL career. So I think that's something that teams got to dig into, and something that I'm still trying to dig into is, you know, what is the football IQ like? What's the route tree like? How developed is it? Is he going to be able to get on the field early? Because we have seen that, and and coming out of a smaller school like SMU makes that a little tougher, too, because, you know, we didn't get to see him in the Senior Bowl. He didn't have a great combine. And that level of competition question is, is always going to be a nagging one where you, you really got to rely on the traits. And, and even then, I would say he's a better fit in some offenses than others. Yeah, I, and something that you brought up leads me to this. When you're evaluating the draft, um, you, you, you know, you obviously root for some of the underdogs, and the underdogs typically are guys from the smaller school so what position, above all others, do you worry the least about a guy having been at um, a smaller school um, where he didn't face, quote-unquote, top-of-the-line competition? What, what position does that bother you the least? That is a tough question. Um, I would almost say defensive back because I think that's such a based evaluation. Like a guy can either flip his hips and run or he can't, you know, or he either – uses his hands well or doesn't. And at least, you know, like a, like coming out of SMU or UT San Antonio, 
you've probably seen those DBs at least run fast guy, right? Maybe not the best route runner or the smoothest guy, but you've at least seen some physical matchups. So it, I think it's something that you always kind of worry about, you know, probably most for like an offensive tackle or a quarterback because, you know, then they're just not facing anything close to the level they might in the pros sometimes. But, um, and DBs, I think, can be a really, really difficult evaluation regardless of where they play. But I do tend to lean more on traits when it comes to that spot than others. Yeah, I was kind of leaning towards defensive line. Um, you know, I'd heard, you know, I read your article today, like the Nathan Shepard kid out of Fort Hayes. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, he definitely looks the part. Uh, as well to put together 315 pounds as you're going to find. Um, and, yeah, sometimes it's good to be able to go up against your upper echelon guys that maybe will be better at technique. But um, I also feel like a defensive line, if you have, if you have those traits, you have them. Um, and if you need to learn a move, here or there, you probably uh, worry less about those guys. I don't know how you feel about that. No, you're right. I think you could almost, like, I would take almost every position on defense because it's a reactive side of the ball. You know, you're reacting to what the offense does as a D-lineman. You're reacting to your blocker. So it is a something where athleticism can benefit you greater because you're not running a designed play. Instead, you're, you know, trying to aggressively stop someone else from doing it. So, you know, D-line – We've seen a lot of success from small school linebackers, and I really like the the Darius Leonard kid from South Carolina State University. You know, small school guys from those spots can come in and, and make plays really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some in-state prospects. Um, maybe not someone that um, everyone is talking about, uh, but from the University of Miami, Mark Walton, um, then run the blazing 40-yard dash time. I'm not huge on 40-yard dash times for, for running backs. Uh, you know, if a guy's a 4'6", four, 4'5", four, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's not often you get to break free and loose like that. But I just love the way Mark Walton runs. What are you hearing from um, your scout contact about Mark Walton? Yeah, I, he's a player I like a lot as well. I think right now the range for him is probably third to fourth round. You mentioned the 40 time wasn't blazing, and he is a smaller guy. So he, he's going to get knocked by some teams for that. But his agility, balance, vision, uh, ability to catch the ball, those are all great things. And for a, a back that's probably going to come in right away as a third down, feel pretty good about his skill set. Um, I'm not sure how healthy he is coming back from the ankle injury that ended his season, which may contribute a little bit to that slower 40 time. But he's a really good prospect that I know there's, there's a lot of teams that, that are high on him. And, and it's a deep running back class. So to be high on him says a lot. Yeah. Um, Florida State, Derwin James, I've heard him compared to a lot of guys. One of the comparisons that really drives Miami Hurricane fans crazy is him being compared to the late Sean Taylor, where does Derwin James fit in for you? Um, I, you know, I don't see a, a lot of ball production in his career at Florida State. Um, we definitely know he can blitz. We definitely, definitely know he can tackle, and he'll take on backs and won't shy away from anything like that. But is he the all-everything that people think he is, or is he something other than that? He's not Sean Taylor. <laughs> not very many – uh, I don't. I haven't seen it. I think that's a one Taylor of a since, kind. I, I would. I'm gonna say Sean Taylor, though. Uh, I, I think Derwin. I mean, he's he's a first rounder. Uh, he should be a top twenty pick. Like you said, I I feel like with some of these guys, you know, like you come out of high school and you're a five star, 
and you go somewhere like Florida State and you look like the Incredible Hulk, you kind of get mm-hmm. an oversized reputation. That's not to take anything away from Derwin. One of the best safeties yeah. in the draft. He's one of the best players in the country. But it, it you know, it happens every year. There's a couple guys that their reputation is a little bigger than their draft stock. And so I would say, you know, he's got a, a shot to go maybe in the top 10, but definitely in that 11 to 20 range. And in my comparison for him, I think athletically he's a lot like Eric Berry. But like you said, we haven't seen that ball production. So I think that becomes a question of, is it because it, is it something he can't do or is it something he wasn't asked to do? And he did play up in the box a lot at Florida State or in that kind of star position. So uh, that it, it does make it a little bit of a harder evaluation because you got to project it a little bit. Yeah, and from the University of Florida, Duke Dawson. Now, I, it, you know, last year's draft, um, you had a lot of long, tall cornerbacks. Uh, and it seems this year the – Inside nickelback type of cornerback is what seems to be in big supply. So um, with that being the case, where does Duke Dawson fit in with that group? He looked awfully good at the combine. He did look awfully good. Like you said, I think he's going to get knocked, you know, for size a little bit. He's going to get labeled as a nickel corner or a slot corner. I like him in the third round. I think he's he's very smooth. And that's something that's going to benefit him well when asked to kick inside. And, you know, some people here, like, slot corner or nickel and they think you're talking bad about a player but those guys are starters now and they're playing like 70 percent of the snaps so it's an incredibly important position Uh, again corner is a very scheme specific need and there will be teams that say not too short uh, for what we need and they'll they'll pass him by but that I have to think there are a lot of really smart teams that would love to have someone with his style of play and his just how fluid he is I think you can plug him in as your third corner and, and be pretty dang good right out of the gate. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that about Nickelback. It's that um, as someone who coaches defense and watches the game a lot from that perspective, um, there's nothing more annoying than third and four and you want to get off the field and that slot receiver is catching a pass that extends the drive. Um, <laughs> and to me, yeah, I mean, Nickelbacks have such a tremendous value and they're so important to the defense that – Listen, if you could get in and specialize and be that guy for it, you could make yourself a very good um, you can make yourself a very good amount of money in this league being someone that could go in and slow an Edelman down or uh, any one of these other slot guys that just seem to make dry, turn four play drives into ten play drives. Um, I think it's a very valuable spot and you know I'm, uh, he looks to me like one of the top guys if if that's the category he ends up falling in so. We'll yeah, I agree. To... And if I'm like a an AFC North team and the Browns just traded for Jarvis Landry, I'm trying to figure out how to stop that dude. And I think that's where guys like Duke Dawson can, you know, and even like Nick Nelson from Wisconsin, I kind of put them in the same group of just get them in there. And yeah, they're gonna they're not gonna play every down, but if you can draft someone like that in the third round, who's gonna consistently be on the field and match up well on those inside routes, those guys have so much value at that spot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, man, before I let you go here, you know, I made fun about this when when you first got on. Uh, obviously, I paid very close attention last year to the draft, the combine, and the whole process. And what I was one of the big things I was able to learn, Matt, was just um, the fact that there are over twenty seven thousand um, four hundred and forty seven draft scouts on Twitter. Um, so that means everyone thinks they're a, a draft analyst. 
uh, on Twitter. I also I just want people to understand what it is that goes into reaching your level. How many prospects do you evaluate with each given draft class? Oh gosh, um, over 500. Um, I think my list of ranked players is at about 431 ish right now, and that that's you know after watching some guys and just saying hey they're not good enough, but. Every spring, I, I do a project through Bleacher Report called the Draft 400. That's 400 mm-hmm. scouting reports, and it's it's a grind. I do have I'm, I, I won't take all the credit. I have two assistants who work with me from January through April, but they both have like full time jobs. You know, it's like right. let's get some pizza and beer for a couple hours a night and work on this thing. Is when they come over. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it is a lot. It's a grind. Um, I don't know how a person gets to. I don't even know what level I'm at, so I don't know how to tell people what you know how to get to that spot. Well, you're at least above uh, Twitter analyst, so uh, you're on Bleacher. <laughs> That's <is> good. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're above yeah. the twenty-seven thousand four hundred fifty-two guys. No, but yeah. in all honesty, you're, you're you're you've crafted yourself into one of the lead guys when it comes to this. You you know you maybe you're not Mel Kiper, um, and he's there's a lot of fame there, and he's been at it for a long time, but um, you you're certainly not. Um, Twitter draft guy. Um, you're way ahead of that. So. I'll take that, man. I'll take that all day. Uh, you know, this was a, a hobby that was a dream job that I've been fortunate enough to turn into a career for seven years now. So I'll take it. Um, as long as, as long as you and, and a couple other people and definitely the people at Bleacher Report like what I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing it. But uh, the the trick is just be good to people and work hard. You know, you don't, you don't have to flex your muscles and there's, you know, there's no credit to being a jerk. You don't you don't get anywhere in life that way. So those are kind of my, my tips for young people wanting to, to do this job. It's just always be mindful of who you're speaking to, be respectful, and it just when when your opportunity comes, you got to be ready to work your ass off. When you make a mock draft, is it what you think a team should do or what you think the team will do based on what your sources are telling you? Yeah, it's always what I hear. And I, I think Daniel Jeremiah uh, of NFL Network puts this so eloquently that rankings are what we see, mock drafts are what we hear. So, mm-hmm. you know, there have been times I've had players ranked very highly and I keep hearing, hey, that guy's not going first round. And it, it's painful for me to put them in the second round of a mock draft because I don't believe it. But right. when it's something that you hear and you, you hear it from people you trust and they have conviction about it, uh, then you got to go with it, you know, and, and that's where – I always point people back to my rankings. That's what that's what I would like to be graded on, and if, if a person were going to evaluate me, that's what I would hope they would do it by. Yeah, it's interesting that you make that distinction between those two things. They're not one and the same. There are the rankings, what you think, um, and the mock is basically what you're hearing. A lot of lies are told during this time of the year, though, man. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard a lot of them as well as I have. I've, I've heard a lot today, even just today. So it's that time right. of year, and you got to – you got, you know, it's it's funny, like when you, you know, not coming from a background in journalism, it's it's sometimes hard for me. I got to remember that not everybody's my friend, and not everybody's just it's like, oh, they're dying to tell me all this really interesting stuff, and you know, mm-hmm. you got to remind yourself that there's a chance it's just not true. Yeah, um, yeah. Listen, all of you guys are in one way or another being uh, manipulated. So, um, experience in the biz gives you the opportunity to, you know. You get a better nose for the BS, I guess, as you go along. Well, that is last thing, yeah. yeah, last thing I'm going to ask you, because, you know, obviously last season, going through everything that went on with Quincy, there were a number of games where he was hurt and missing or he was inactive 
because of the whole drama that was going on in Indianapolis. And almost every week I would see you tagged on something where people said, oh, hey, take a look at your number one cornerback guy, inactive for the game, or, you know, people coming after you. And I know that's part of the business. In the time that you've done this, who is the prospect that you have taken the most heat on over the years? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Uh, um, probably Teddy Bridgewater. When he was coming out, I really, really liked him and stuck to my guns on it. And unfortunately, you know, he got hurt, so we haven't been able to see what he would have become, and I'm, I'm hoping that he gets back on the field. But, you know, it's college football fans are crazy. So it's, you know, even if I say that, like, you know, Derwin James had a bad day against Louisville, they'll take mm-hmm. that to mean that I hate him and he's not any good when it's like I'm, I'm actually just watching some football and tweeted out my opinion. But it's uh, right. it's hard to pick just one. I definitely know that because <laughs> I still get reminded of, you know, guys that I was too high or too low on way back in 2011. So it's just, like you said, you got to have thick skin. It's just part of part of the job. Yeah, and I've come to learn that a lot of uh, the emotions um, when it comes to stuff like that are driven by college football fans with a serious allegiance um, to their school, whether they went there or they're a diehard. Um, sometimes when I'll see a comment and I go digging into their Twitter account, I find out where the allegiance is. So, you know, for instance, um, let's say my son Quincy gets, um, you know, some criticism that I find unfair. If I go clicking and I look into it, it's it's a Florida State fan or a University of Miami fan or an LSU fan, and that really drives it. And we know there's not a whole lot of rationality when it comes to college football. Man. No, there definitely isn't. And NFL fans, as you'll learn, uh, aren't much better. So they now it might be a Jags fan or a Titans fan, <laughs> you know, or a Texans fan, but it's. It's those crazy people that give us these jobs that we have. So it's it's like it's all fun and you got to learn to put up with it. But uh, you know there there are days where you have a shorter fuse than others, and it's like, why am I dealing with these people? But it's uh, it's it's definitely exciting. Yeah, I've seen you sling a little mud. You're not bad at it. So um, I I kind of figured out some of those days where listen, Matt's he's got time today for anyone that wants to talk trash on Twitter. So it's uh, always funny when I see. You do that because I know I have my days and I'll just pick a guy and um, I, I'm on a mission to make him delete his Twitter account if he came for me. So it's just um, <laughs> funny when I see someone else do that. Well, listen, Matt, um, I appreciate you giving us the time. Always a good interview here. And uh, this is your time of year, man. This is your this is your Super Bowl, your World Cup. So I appreciate you taking the time out to join me here on the show. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's always, always good to talk to you and we'll have to do it soon. All right. Uh, listen, you know what? Before you go, I want to give you a chance to, to pub your podcast. I've listened several times. I like it, and I think uh, everyone else should too. So tell them how they can listen, find it, subscribe, all that good stuff. Yeah, Apple Podcasts is probably the best way to do it. It's called Stick to Football. Uh, right now we have two episodes a week, one on Wednesday, one on Friday. Throughout the month of April, we'll have three a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Like, like you said, uh, it's a lot of draft information, and then sometimes it's off the wall, like beer recommendations and me complaining about not being able to get Mexican food in Missouri that's any good. So oh, wow. uh, you never know what you're going to get with it. <laughs> well, good, man. Always have, always have, good to have some fun on the podcast and every now and then hit an off topic. You never know where it might go. But, again, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate you. Hope to have you on sometime again soon. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks. All right, Matt Miller from Bleacher Reports, NFL Draft Analyst, joining us here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Always 
Uh, great nuggets of information from Matt, someone who has his ear to the ground and to the streets. Um, so some pretty good information um, that he's provided us with here. And then also good insight into what it takes. 500, 500 evaluations on players. I don't think anyone of you uh, amateurs out there on Twitter um, are out there doing 500 evaluations. If you're doing that, you don't have yourself a real job. Um, this is Matt's job. He does this full time. So uh, that's what it's going to take. 400 to 500 evaluations written up uh, on guys. And for you to write it up, writing it up takes time. Um, to write it up means you got to have a certain amount of information. So that means you've watched the film um, and you've talked to some people about, um, about the prospect. And think about that for 400 to 500 guys. So um, definitely a lot of work goes into this. But if you love it, then it's a good thing for you. Um, look, just wrapping up some of the things Matt had to say on here. He's he's on board with a Mark Walton. Um, you know, people weren't in love with his 40-yard dash time. And by people, I mean, you know, um, the public at large. I don't put a big deal into that. I think Mark Walton is going to be a, a pretty good running back in the NFL and, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with him landing in the right spot. I think if he lands in the right spot, Mark Walton uh, will pay his dividends for whatever team that takes him on. Um, Derwin James, not quite Sean Taylor. Sorry, Florida State fans. Um, you know what? Derwin James himself didn't actually do that. I don't think Derwin James asked for that uh, by virtue of being a physical and a good football player early on at Florida State. He got a lot of uh, projections thrown on him. Um, Florida State fans lifted him up pretty, pretty high, and that just brought on the attacks from Florida State's rivals. But um, he, I will certainly agree with Matt on the fact that Derwin James is a damn good football player. Um, and like, like Mark Walton, if he finds himself in the absolute right spot, um, you're talking about a guy that's going to go to multiple Pro Bowls. Um, it's gonna, it needs to be a good fit for him because I think there are some things maybe that Derwin James still has to prove as a football player. One of those things, like I said, is ball production. Not a whole lot of interceptions and, and, and pass breakups and things of that nature. But um, he's going to tackle his rear end off and he's going to go hard and um, he's going to make some things happen closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, I think if he ends up being a guy that could be in a, a, off the hash or a middle safety, then um, he definitely is um, going to be one of, the, one of the best guys that we've seen um, at that position. And then Duke Dawson, um, you know, Matt agrees with me that he comes out in a draft where there are a lot of guys that are in his category, just me watching him over the years and then looking at him perform in the combine. Duke Dawson's um, at the top of that list of those type of cornerbacks. Um, and he showed last year that he could play outside as well. So uh, maybe where there's some guys that are strictly nickel, Dawson can go outside and play outside. But then also when you get him in there at nickel, that's just something that's, that's a home for him, and he can do really good work on those annoying third-down drive extenders uh, that more and more teams seem to have. Um, you know, Green Bay has them. Um, the Saints have them. The Patriots always seem to have that kind of guy that's in the slot on third and four and five and just extend drives. And I think um, Duke Dawson's a guy that could definitely go in and make a name for himself in the NFL um, as someone who um, you could bring in, you know, like kind of like Cliff Harris out there in, in Denver. Um, made a name for himself as being a guy that is going to lock down um, the guys that really catch most of the balls in this league now. The guys that come out of the games with eight, nine, ten catches per game. 
Um, Duke Dawson could fall into that mold where um, he's just uh, an expert and one of the best in the league at doing that. So looking forward to see how um, teams view and evaluate Duke as we start to move closer to the NFL draft. Um, and, you know, again, just to reiterate some of the things that I said at the top of this show, um, listen, they're talking about Sam Darnold being the number one guy. Uh, it's tough for anyone to go to Cleveland, but when you're talking about a Southern California guy going now to Cleveland in frigid temperatures, a frigid fan base, and a team that has not been hot in any kind of way over the last decade, it's a tough spot for a Sam Darnold. And I've liked his college football career, and just a part of me is scared to see it just all go by the wayside ending up in Cleveland. And I'm not just saying that because it's Cleveland. I just don't know that it's a match. Now, if Cleveland were to wait a little bit and they were able to get someone like a Josh Allen um, and maybe Tyrod Taylor does some good work for you for a few years there and Allen can sit and maybe watch, then I think he probably pays off better for that franchise than a, than a Sam Darnold or a, a Josh Rosen who, again, Warm weather guys. Those guys belong in Arizona. They belong in Texas. They belong in Miami. They belong in San Diego, Los Angeles, um, you know, Oakland, San Francisco. Those are the places for those guys. And maybe I am pushing them into, a, you know, a little small box. But it is what it is. You've been playing ball all your life in warm weather, and now you're going to the most elite level of this game. To add that element to it, to put that as part of something that you're going to have to deal with, uh, I think that's very difficult and stressful for a young guy coming out. And Darnold left school early. Okay, so he's a young guy. On top of being a rookie, he's a young rookie. Um, throw some freezing cold temperatures in there and what is probably a rabid press corps out in Cleveland and then fans whose patience, uh, deservedly so, is very, very low. Um, know that that's the best spot for a Sam Darnold. I don't know. I don't know about that. So we'll just have to see. So uh, a lot of interesting things we talked about here on the show with uh, Matt Miller. And I'm just going to leave it at that, wrap it up. Um, I'm back on next week. Uh, early on, I'm only going to have one show next week. I'm going to be out of, uh, going to be checking out of town, going up, heading up to Gainesville, seeing what the new Florida Gators are looking like uh, under new coach Dan Mullins, getting, uh, trying to see what it is. Is it hype or is it real? up there in uh, Gainesville right now. So can check that out. Pro Day, uh, also the Florida Relays. Maybe Anthony Schwartz uh, runs a 10-flat 9 I would love to um, be there and witness that. He's put down some really good performances over the years um, at Florida Relays, and I would certainly like to be on hand if that is where he's going to break below um, 10 seconds. I just would like to see that with my own two eyes. So, one show next week, hoping to have on um, someone from um, the uh, Florida media. So whether that's uh, Gator Country, Nick Delatore, um, or uh, Zach Alvaretti from SEC Country, one of those two will join me on uh, my show next week uh, on Monday to talk uh, Gators football. So stay tuned for that. For the rest of you, I would like to thank you all for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. Sorry for anyone who's trying to watch me on Facebook Live. Hey, the internet did me in on that one, so for whatever reason, uh, we couldn't really get that done the way that we wanted to today. That's why I have this backup, Blog Talk Radio. So thank you all for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you guys next week. We'll be back here on the Gridiron Stud Show.